For those that are tuning in live, great to be with you. For those that are watching on demand, happy whatever day it is. We've been talking a lot about this idea of rituals, what it does to our mind. On Friday, we had a Q&A. I think what we're going to do, just to give you guys a heads up, the questions are so awesome. And they, they bring out so many pieces that it's hard to do without the questions, right? The, the, that's the whole beauty of questions. It's the rapid iteration. It's the feedback. And sometimes I say something, I don't even realize that I'm, I'm being ambiguous. I'm, I'm, big, I'm being ambiguous in this area. And I don't mean to be. And the questions come in and I'm like, I didn't really mean that, or I should say that, or that's a great question, or that's a good follow-up. So I'm thinking about this, and I'm not sure if this is going to happen yet or not, but I want to give you guys a heads up. I'm thinking of adding, for those who may be interested, to the Daily Boost, maybe we'll do a 10-minute section afterwards from 9.20 to 9.30, um, with God's help daily, just to do just Q&A every day, and then Friday we'll do some more, just because the questions are so good. So just keep keep an eye out for that. And if you're watching this on demand, it'll be a separate video. We're not going to move videos from 20 to 30. 20 is long enough as it is. But at least we'll have another piece, um, at least every day, of answering someone's question or trying to answer someone's question. So we've been talking a lot about rituals. I want to move into a new area today. I want to sort of like open up a new chapter. Um, We'll circle back as everything. It's all concentric circles. So we'll circle back to everything because everything's interrelated to everything else. But I want to enter into a new area, because we've been speaking a lot about the aspect of our lives called thought, and how thought is really where the change takes place based on this concept called neuroplasticity, and how our minds are really being adapted based on our thinking, but if we learn how to think properly, right, not like messy, all-over-the-place reaction, but like thoughtful deliberate, consistent, even for parts of our day, we will then understand how to use our minds in the way we want them to use it. If we allow ourselves to stay the way we're doing, we're not going to expect, we should not expect much of a change, right? Albert Einstein, doing the same thing and expecting different results is the definition of insanity. We're just, many people are just living the same life, just the details are changing. And I told this to you a couple of weeks ago, it was my birthday. Um, and I have this thing that my birthday is really to, to journal more than I would typically. It's, 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 I don't know if the right word is harrowing. I don't know if Andy's with me, if that's even a word, harrowing. I feel like it's a word, even if it's not a word. You understand what I'm saying when I say harrowing. It's, it's scary. It's, it's frustrating when you read a journal that you write about challenges that you're facing or things that you're frustrated with. And you go back one, two, three, five years and you can see it's the same stuff. It's just different details. That's because the mind is positioned in the same way and we don't know how to fix it, how to change it, but through rituals and through consistent thinking, we can. What I want to introduce to you is a new part of your, of your uh, power a new arrow, but another arrow in our quiver. And it's the faculty of speech. Where does speech fit into this? Where does speaking 
play in all of this. You know, what's amazing is when you, when you start to delve into both secular work, mostly through science or research or through popular, you know, what they call pseudoscience or whatever it is, or just popular world, popular culture, you begin to see patterns that emerge as to what's valuable. When you delve into spiritual work, it's totally yeah, harrowing. Thanks, Andy. It's totally different. Spirituality is almost like the, the, the inside of the physical world. The physical world sort of draws its sustenance, whether it realizes or it doesn't, on spiritual truths. And sometimes they're complementary and sometimes they're not. In the area of the physical world, the thing that we respect most when you put on our physical eyes are things that we can touch, things that we can sense, action. What we do, we spoke about this, doing. What's your name? You ask somebody. What's the next question? What do you do? And somehow, by what you do, I now figure out your value. Because action is of the most respected in the physical world. The business world, it's called bottom line. What's the bottom line? Bottom line is another way of saying, all the stuff in between is wonderful. Show me what you got. In the spiritual world, it's not like that. Action is almost on the bottom of the list. Intention. Is the high are high end of the list, but in the spiritual world, there's something fascinating. In the physical world, the moment of creation, if you will, takes place when you do your thing, when you put in the last nail, and now the bookshelves are complete. When you fix the couches, and now the couches are done. When you make the phone or write the document. In the spiritual world, there's a moment of creation that takes place that's not in action. It's in another area. What area is that? It's the area of speech. If you notice, the Bible. Remember, the Bible isn't a history book. No one's coming to give an account. It's a, it's a lesson book. It was based on, it's based on history. It's based on real facts. But the things that are in the Bible are done in a very deliberate way to teach very deep mystical lessons. One of the reasons why a lot of people get tripped up is they look at the Bible as a history book. It's a lesson book. If you know something fascinating in the Bible, it describes creation. Now, if you're writing the Bible, you use a word. If you would have to say that God created the world, the words that you would use are words like created, made, did, fashioned, formed. What's the, what's the verb that the Bible uses to describe creation? It's speech. God spoke and God said, let there be light and there was light. When God said and God spoke and God said, well, why would that be? Why would that be? Why would that? That's not true. God's not a human being. He didn't speak. He wasn't yelling at like subcontractors, put the beams over there. Like you got to make sure that the, the finishing is stronger over there. What, you, what he, wasn't doing, he wasn't doing anything physical. So since it's a spiritual experience, then why not just say it in the right word? And the answer is because the Bible is teaching us a spiritual truth, which is the moment of creation takes place at the moment of speech. Man and a woman walk down the aisle spiritually, 
They are two separate individuals. They come down from the aisle spiritually. They are one intertwined unit. Marriage into Judaism is not a, a, a partnership. It's a bond, a spiritual bond that takes place between husband and wife. How did their souls intertwine? What took place? Was some kind of surgery where one soul is ripped out and then they, they, they tie it together and off you go? What, what took place? You know what just took place? Somebody read a few blessings. But a few blessings under something called a chuppah geared toward with the consent of two individuals created a spiritual reality that wasn't there before. You know, there's a rule in Judaism called a vow, which means that if I take, which I'm not doing, taking an apple and I look at the apple and I say, this apple shall be forbidden to me, which I'm not doing. Then if I bite into that apple spiritually, the impact that it has on my soul is equivalent, so to speak, to eating anything forbidden like pork. Well, it's still an apple. It's still got the same why would it be any different than the apple? Because I said something. Because in the spiritual world, your speech is creating reality. Right, this week's Torah portion. I didn't realize it. Thank you, Zevi. That's why Yom Kippur even works. The whole concept of Yom Kippur is you can stand before God and say you're sorry. So what? The answer is because the words that you're saying is impacting who you are. When we understand that the most powerful faculty that we have as how we deal with the spiritual world is speech, we can start to delve into it and appreciate it for what it is. Speech is actually the linchpin between our actions and our thinking. Because the problem with thinking is thinking is messy. As I'm sure you're seeing already, that even when you start to do rituals, it's, it's still challenging because the mind it takes a while for the mind to orient around the new information and all along the way you can drop there's got to be a linchpin between your mind and your actions that linchpin is speech now we've been using it because for those people that have been journaling i wonder who's still journaling from we said that we should start journaling every day I should, I should take a poll for who's still journaling. We should, whoever's not, you should, let's pick it up again. Oh, Arita's. You rock. You make it, it's all worth it just for that. The whole idea of journaling is speech. Because what takes place in my mind, and thank you, what, what takes place in my mind is messy. What we've been doing until now, but I want to sort of like bring it out and like put it on, on a pedestal and talk about it. Thank you, Steve. Steve's on. Liron's on. This is great. You guys make it worth it. You realize and also, this is great. Robin's doing it. Oh, man. For those who are not joining me live on the Zoom, you gotta. Just check out. I'm sure you can find it. Check it out. You gotta join join the live crew. I want to put it out and put it on a pedestal. Because what journaling is, is speech. It's in my head. I sort of get it. I'm not really sure. But when I can write it, it becomes clearer because writing is a form of speaking. And what we need to do now, if we're really going to go and try to control and direct our lives, is begin the process of understanding what speech is. What is speech physically? 
what is speech in terms of our mind and some of the most incredible stats that are out there today regarding speech and what it does for us, but also what it is according to our soul. So let's begin by understanding what speech is and how by strengthening speech, we actually strengthen our minds and our abilities to make change. So let's, let's sort of like jump into it together and spend a couple days on it. So speech is a problem. What's the problem with speech is that we've basically debased it. We've, we've, we've disused it. I don't care what kind of faculty it is. It doesn't seem to be working for me. The way it's supposed to work is that when you speak, you create. Speaking creates reality. Now, if you're like me, you're saying to yourself, like, it doesn't create my reality. I talk, nobody listens, right? I'm writing journals and I'm making, you know, I'm, I'm doing task lists and I'm not even getting anything done. When I write or when I speak, nothing seems to be moving. In fact, if you look at very, very righteous people, there's a line that they say that when a righteous person says something, it, it comes true. It's powerful. It's the whole power of prayer. Prayer, if you've ever prayed in your life, what you're relying on is the fact that your speech can somehow shift and change reality. But it doesn't seem to be working for me. Why not? So I want to tell you a story. It's going to take a couple of days to get through this, but we'll get through this with God's help. I'll tell you a story. One of my first, so is, as many of you may or may not know, I started my life in corporate law. So my first job out of law school was for a big firm in the city. And the way it works in these big firms is that um, there's a lot of lawyers and there's a lot of hierarchy, right? So the partner is like 12 rungs above you, right? It's first year, second year, third year. In my firm, it was above the line, below the line. It's so many, it's so bureaucratic. It's so political. There's every year, there's like another level. It's, it, it's, it's so non-entrepreneurial. So I was in the real estate group and one of the, the, the deals, the transactions that were do, done in this law firm were massive. They were massive. There were companies buying companies with tons of real estate. There was, you know, there were massive properties. They were working on M&A deals, mergers and acquisitions or bankruptcy deals where you'd have to review hundreds and hundreds of stores or it was incredible. And as a first year, you're just like a little, you're like a glorified gopher. You know, you just, you, you do this, the, the, whatever's left on the totem pole they give you to do. It's like, you know, it just, it's amazing. You come out of law school, you think you're somebody. Then you get into law. Anyone here who's watching that works for a big law firm knows exactly what I'm talking about. Like you graduate law school and thank God I was blessed to go to a great law school. And I feel like I'm a real person. And I have like, you know, like I've got a future and like things are great. And like, yeah, oh my gosh. And then all of a sudden you show up at one of these law firms for like the first, it's like going to like the Navy SEALs. It's like they beat you into a pulp and they tell you you're a nobody. It's, it's incredible for your, if you can survive, it's incredible for your, for your ego. But what they do is they have these clients that they give these young associates to do um, that are sort of like, they're not really what they do, but they're, they're related to people. So they want to keep people happy. So if you're the managing director of some big bank, we want your job. So if you also have like a father or someone do, and you call the guy and you say, listen, I need you to help me with some work. Sometimes they'll just give it to somebody else. Sometimes they'll give it to the young guys. So that's what happened to me. They, someone's brother or sister or cousin was really, really important. The cousin, 
And his father or uncle wanted to sell some buildings in downtown Brooklyn. Now, downtown Brooklyn now is like, you know, like this cool, regentrified area for those who live in New York. I don't know what will be in the next future. Who knows where New York is going? That's a whole other conversation. But back when I was my first year in law school, it was, you, it was not a very gentrified area. And apparently this very important managing director of some bank had an uncle or a father or somebody who had a couple of buildings down there. So I get a call one day from the partner. The partner says, listen, we want you, the guy's got some buildings. It's nothing, nothing major. You figure it out and go speak to so-and-so and so-and-so and they'll help you. But like, just take care of it. Great. It's actual real work, right? It's like, it's a pleasure, right? I don't have to like spend like four more hours looking at like some stack of documents, looking for some needle in a haystack. I can actually like do real law work. So I'm all in. I jump on a train. I go down to downtown Brooklyn. I'm walking around looking for this guy to meet. And I walk into his, his, uh, his, his building. I want you to picture this guy. I've got a few minutes left in the morning. Hopefully I'll get through the story. I don't want you to, I want you to picture. I want you to be with me. I can't, I don't want to run through a story. It's me and you. Like we're, we're together. You know what I'm saying? Like, I want you to picture it like you get a building, like almost like a, you know, old office building. Guy came in, immigrant. He came in, no money, rub nickels together. You know, that type like sweat of the brow. Those guys, I love those guys. He doesn't live in, he's not sitting in a fancy office. He's, he's just in like the first apartment. He's got to look at that, that like metal desk, you know, like the metal chair with like the one cushion when you sit there. Anyone, can you ever picture this? Right, like the old filed cabinets, the, the windows that still have the, uh, the, the, the grates on them. Salt of the earth guy. No frills, real hardworking. Eric was built off these guys and women. So I walk in, I said, what's going on? He says to me, I want to sell my buildings. So how many buildings do you have? He goes, oh, seven or eight buildings. So why do you want to sell it? He goes, I'm an old man. I'm an old man. Like, you know, I'm, I'm done. Like I, I came in here, I know money. I built a whole company up. I put my kids through school, put my kids through college. My kids are all married. Like, what do I got to do this for? Like, you know, if he was my grandmother, he would have said, which is, which is Yiddish for I have no more strength. He think he was Italian. He wasn't telling me a Chabnish but he was basically saying like, I'm done. So I said, okay. I get the building addresses. It's a process. You got to get a title. You got to get it appraised. It's like, you don't just sell it. You got to figure out how much it's worth and you got to get this and that. Like, it's a whole thing. So I get the addresses. I take them down and say, I'll be in touch. He says, thank you so much. So I go back to my office. And when I get back to my office the next day, I get some crazy deal they need me to help with that just sucks up my life. And I'm lost on some wherever. I'm flying around. And I forget about this guy. Two weeks, three weeks later, I get a call from my a tech. Back then, I, I, they had Blackberries. Remember Blackberries? Back then, they had Blackberries. So I get a, a, a message on my Blackberry Sunday morning. Look at the Wall Street Journal. You get a text from your partner on Sunday morning. It's never a good thing. I look at the Wall Street Journal. It says that one of the big boxes, a Home Depot or uh, Best Buy, just announced that they were building a store right near this area which means that all the values of the property go up, right? If a big box is moving in, which means they see the neighbor's got a potential, which means all the office buildings are going to be more valuable. I'm like, this is incredible. I didn't even work on this at all. I called the guy. I said, great news for you. It's good that you have a lawyer who doesn't pay attention to you because in my negligence, you just made money. He goes, what are you talking about? I said, you just made money. He goes, what do you mean? I'm like, well, we had, we sold your buildings three weeks ago. You would have got X, but now that the big box just announced, look at the wall street journal, your, 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 your property is worth more. 
So he says to me, oh no, buildings are sold. I said, the buildings are sold? I said, Who? I'm your lawyer. I didn't do any, I didn't sell them. He goes, no, 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 after you left, I had a, um, I was feeling it. After you left, I just felt like I wanted to sell them. So like, I'm like, what am I wasting my time with some, you know, buttoned up lawyer for? I called four of my friends that were in the business with me. One person said, he's interested. We went to the diner down the block. I gave him a price. He gave me a counter price. We negotiated for about 15 minutes. We came to a price. I sold the buildings. So me being like my first year lawyer, I go, oh, did you write it down? He goes, no. I said, okay, according to New York law, if it's not written down, it's not, so it's not considered to be enforceable. We can still sell them. Da, 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 da. And as I'm talking, I see there's like no, there's no like breathing on the side of the phone. I quiet down. He looks at me and goes, what? I said, yeah. He says, man, you lawyers. I said, what? So he goes, I told you I sold the buildings. I shook a man's hand. And when I shook a man's hand, I told him I'm going to sell him those buildings. I don't need no lawyers. I don't need no contracts. I shook a man's hand. And he said the words that I'll never forget my whole life. I've heard them, but not the way I heard them from him. He said, I don't need no contract. He said, my word is my bond. I'll never forget that. And it shaped me in a way that nothing could shape me. Here's a man saying, when I speak, I create. I spoke, sold. And in the moment that I spoke, something in the world got created. At the moment that the words left my lips, the properties are now not mine. I don't need you to write those words down and sign it with a signature. Let's begin down the road of speech and recognize that for our speech to have a shot, we have to do, we have to add an integrity back in what we say. Our words have to become our bonds. Okay. We'll talk about this with God's help. Thanks for tuning in. Love, I'll let you guys know about the q and I'm, sh- I'm sure we're going to do it with God's help because I really want to, those questions are so awesome. I want them to keep on coming. If you're watching this live, welcome. On demand, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and the other one, Facebook. All right. Awesome. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for tuning in, especially on the Sunday.